Part two, chapter four of By What Authority by Robert Hugh Benson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A countermarch. Isabel was sitting out alone in the Italian garden at the hall one afternoon in the summer following the visit to Deptford. Hubert was down at Plymouth, assisting in the preparations for the expedition that Drake hoped to conduct against Spain. The two countries were technically at peace, but the object with which he was going out with the moral and financial support of the queen was a corporate demonstration against spain of french portuguese and english ships under the main command of don antonio the portuguese pretender it was proposed to occupy terceira in the azores and drake and hawkins entertained the highest hopes of laying their hands on further plunder she was leaning back in her seat with her hands behind her head thinking over her relations with hubert when he had been at home at the end of the previous year he had apparently taken it for granted that the marriage would be celebrated he had given her the gold nugget that she had showed anthony telling her he had brought it home for the wedding ring and she understood that he was to come for his final answer as soon as his work at plymouth was over but not a word of explanation had passed between them on the religious difficulty he had silenced her emphatically and kindly once when she had approached it and she gathered from his manner that he suspected the direction in which her mind was turning and was generously unwilling for her to commit herself an inch further than she saw else whence came his assurance and for herself things were indeed becoming plain she wondered why she had hesitated so long why she was still hesitating the cup was brimming above the edge it needed but a faint touch of stimulus to precipitate all and so isabel lay back and pondered with a touch of happy impatience at the workings of her own soul for she dared not act without the final touch of conviction mistress margaret had taught her that the swiftest flight of the soul was when there was least movement when the soul knew how to throw itself with that supreme effort of cessation into the hands of god that he might bear it along when after informing the intellect and seeking by prayer for god's bounty the humble client of heaven waited with uplifted eyes and ready heart until god should answer and so she waited knowing that the gift was at hand yet not daring to snatch it but in the meanwhile her imagination at least might act without restraint so she sent it out like a bird from the ark to bring her the earnest of peace there in the cloister wing somewhere lay the chapel where she and hubert would kneel together somewhere beneath that gray roof that was the terrace where she would walk one day as one who has a right there which of these windows would be hers not lady maxwell's of course she must keep that ah how good god was the tall door onto the terrace opened and mistress margaret peered out with a letter in her hand isabel called to her and the old nun came down the steps into the garden why did she walk so falteringly the girl wondered as if she could not see what was it what was it isabel rose to her feet startled as the nun with bent head came up the path what is it mistress margaret the other tried to smile at her but her lips were trembling too much and the girl saw that her eyes were brimming with tears she put the letter into her hand 
Isabel lifted it in an agony of suspense and saw her name in Hubert's handwriting. "'What is it?' she said again, white to the lips. The old lady, as she turned away, glanced at her, and Isabel saw that her face was all twitching with the effort to keep back her tears. The girl had never seen her like that before, even at Sir Nicholas' death. Was there anything, she wondered as she looked, worse than death? But she was too dazed by the sight to speak, and Mistress Margaret went slowly back to the house, unquestioned. Isabel turned the letter over once or twice, and then sat down and opened it. It was all in Hubert's sprawling handwriting, and was dated from Plymouth. It gave her news, first about the squadron, saying how Don Antonio had left London for Plymouth and was expected daily, and then followed this paragraph. And now, dearest Isabel, I have such good news to give you. I have turned Protestant. And there's no reason why we should not be married as soon as I return. I know this will make you happy to think that our religions are no longer different. I have thought of this so long, but would not tell you before for fear of disappointing you. Sir Francis Drake's religion seems to me the best. It is the religion of all the sea-dogs, as they name us, and of the Queen's Grace, and it will be soon of all England, and more than that, it is the religion of my dearest mistress and love. I do not, of course, know very much of it as yet. But good Mr. Collins here has shown me the superstitions of popery, and I hope now to be justified by faith without works, as the gospel teaches. I fear that my mother and aunt will be much distressed by this news. I have written, too, to tell them of it. You must comfort them, dear love, and perhaps some day they, too, will see as we do then followed a few messages and loving phrases and the letter ended isabel laid it down beside her on the low stone wall and looked round her with eyes that saw nothing there was the grey old house before her and the terrace and the cloister wing to the left and the hot sunshine lay on it all and drew out scents and colours from the flower beds and joy from the insects that danced in the trembling air and it all meant nothing to her like a picture when the page is turned over five minutes ago she was regarding her life and seeing how the grace of god was slowly sorting out its elements from chaos to order the road was unwinding itself before her eyes as she trod on it day by day now a hand had swept all back into disorder and the path was hidden by the ruins then gradually one thought detached itself and burned before her vivid and startling and in all its terrible reality slipped between her and the visible world on which she was staring it was this to embrace the catholic faith meant the renouncing of hubert as a protestant she might conceivably have married a catholic as a catholic it was inconceivable that she should marry an apostate then she read the letter through again carefully and slowly and was astonished at the unreality of hubert's words about romish superstition and gospel simplicity she tried hard to silence her thoughts but two reasons for hubert's change of religion rose up and insisted on making themselves felt it was that he might be more in unity with the buccaneers whom he admired second that there might be no obstacle to their marriage 
and what then she asked was the quality of the heart he had given her then in a flash of intuition she perceived that a struggle lay before her compared with which all her previous spiritual conflicts were as child's play and that there was no avoiding it the vision passed and she rose and went indoors to find the desolate mother whose boy had lost the faith a month or two of misery went by for lady maxwell they passed with recurring gusts of heart-broken sorrow and of agonies of prayer for her apostate son mistress margaret was at the hall all day soothing encouraging even distracting her sister by all the means in her power the mother wrote one passionate wail to her son appealing to all that she thought he held dear even yet to return to the faith for which his father had suffered and in which he had died but a short answer only returned saying it was impossible to make his defence in a letter and expressing pious hopes that she too one day would be as he was the same courier brought a letter to isabel in which he expressed his wonder that she had not answered his former one and as for isabel she had to pass through this valley of darkness alone anthony was in london and even if he had been with her could not have helped her under these circumstances her father was dead she thanked god for that now and mistress margaret seemed absorbed in her sister's grief and so the girl fought with devils alone the arguments for catholicism burned pitilessly clear now every line and feature in them stood out distinct and hard catholicism it appeared to her alone had the marks of the bride visible unity visible catholicity visible apostolicity visible sanctity there they were the seals of the most high god she flung herself back furiously into the protestantism from which she had been emerging there burned in the dark before her the marks of the beast visible disunion visible nationalism visible erastianism visible gulfs where holiness should be that system in which now she could never find rest again glared at her in all its unconvincing incoherence its lack of spirituality its adulterous union with the civil power instead of the pure wedlock of the spouse of christ she wondered once more how she dared to have hesitated so long or dared to hesitate still on the theological side intellectual arguments of this kind started out strong and irrefutable her emotional drawings towards catholicism for the present retired feelings might have been disregarded or discredited by a strong effort of the will these apparently cold phenomena that presented themselves to her intellect could not be thus dealt with yet strangely enough even now she would not throw herself resolutely into catholicism the fierce stimulus instead of precipitating the crisis petrified it more than once she started up from her knees in her own dark room resolved to awaken the nun and tell her she would wait no longer but would turn catholic at once and have finished with the misery of suspense but even as she moved to the door her will found itself against an impenetrable wall 
and then on the other side all her human nature cried out for hubert 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 there he stood by her in fancy day and night that chivalrous courteous lad who had been loyal to her so long had waited so patiently had run to her with such dear impatience who was so wholesome so strong so humble to her so quick to understand her wants so eager to fulfil them so bound to her by associations so fit a mate for the very differences between them and now these two claims were no longer compatible in his very love for her he had ended that possibility all those old dreams the little scenes she had rehearsed of their first mass their first communion together their walks in the twilight their rides over the hills the new ties that were to draw the old ladies at the hall and herself so close together all this was changed some of those dreams were now forever impossible others only possible on terms that she trembled even to think of perhaps it was worst of all to reflect that she was in some measure responsible for his change of religion she fancied that it was through her slowness to respond to light her delaying to confide in him that he had been driven through impatience to take this step and so week after week went by and she dared not answer his letter the old ladies too were sorely puzzled at her it was impossible for them to know how far her religion was changing she had kept up the same reserve towards them lately as towards hubert chiefly because she feared to disappoint them and so after an attempt to tell each other a little of their mutual sympathy the three women were silent on the subject of the lad who was so much to them all she began to show her state a little in her movements and appearance she was languid soon tired and dispirited she would go for short lonely walks and fall asleep in her chair worn out when she came in her grey eyes looked longer and darker her eyelids and the corners of her mouth began to droop a little then in october he came home isabel had been out a long afternoon walk by herself through the reddening woods they had never since the first awakening of the consciousness of beauty in her meant so little to her as now it appeared as if that keen unity of a life common to her and all living things had been broken or obscured and that she walked in an isolation all the more terrible in that she was surrounded by the dumb presence of what she loved last year the quick chattering cry of the blackbird the evening mists over the meadows the stir of the fading life of the woods the rustling scamper of the rabbit over the dead leaves the solemn call of the homing rooks all this only last year went to make up the sweet natural atmosphere in which her spirit moved and breathed at ease now she was excommunicate from that pleasant friendship banned by nature and forgotten by the god who made it and was eminent within it her relations to the saviour 
who only such a short time ago had been the person round whom all the joys of life had centred from whom they radiated and to whom she referred them all these relations had begun to be obscured by her love for hubert and now had vanished altogether she had regarded her earthly and her heavenly lover as two persons each of whom had certain claims upon her heart and each of whom she had hoped to satisfy in different ways instead of identifying the two and serving each not apart from but in the other and now it seemed to her that she was making experience of a divine jealousy that would suffer her to be satisfied neither with god nor man her soul was exhausted by internal conflict by the swift alternations of attraction and repulsion between the poles of her supernatural and natural life so that when it turned wearily from self to what lay outside it was not even capable as before of making that supreme effort of cessation of effort which was necessary to its peace it seemed to her that she was self-poised in emptiness and could neither touch heaven or earth crucified so high that she could not rest on earth so low that she could not reach to heaven she came in weary and dispirited as the candles were being lighted in her sitting-room upstairs but she saw the gleam of them from the garden with no sense of a welcoming brightness she passed from the garden into the door of the hall which was still dark as the fire had nearly burned itself out as she entered the door opposite opened and once more she saw the silhouette of a man's figure against the lighted passage beyond and again she stopped frightened and whispered anthony there was a momentary pause as the door closed and all was dark again and then she heard hubert's voice say her name and felt herself wrapped once more in his arms for a moment she clung to him with furious longing ah this is a tangible thing she felt this clasp the faint cleanly smell of his rough frieze dress refreshed her like wine and she kissed his sleeve passionately and the wide gulf between them yawned again and her spirit sickened at the sight of it oh hubert hubert she said she felt herself half carried to a high chair beside the fireplace and sat down there then he rearranged the logs on the hearth so that the flames began to leap again showing his strong hands and keen clear-cut face then he turned on his knees seized her two hands in his own and lifted them to his lips then laid them down again on her knee still holding them and so remained oh isabel he said why did you not write she was silent as one who stares fascinated down a precipice it is all over he went on in a moment with the expedition the queen's grace has finally refused us leave to go and i have come back to you isabel how strong and pleasant he looked in this leaping firelight how real and she was hesitating between this warm human reality and the chilly possibilities of an invisible truth her hands tightened instinctively within his and then relaxed i have been 
so wretched," she said piteously. "Ah, my dear," and he threw an arm round her neck and drew her face down to his, "but that is over now." She sat back again, and then an access of purpose poured into her and braced her will to an effort. "No, no," she began, "I must tell you. I was afraid to write. Hubert, I must wait a little longer. I I do not know what I believe." He looked at her, puzzled. "What do you mean, dearest?" "I have been so much puzzled lately, thinking so much, and and I am sorry you have become a Protestant. It makes all so hard." "My dear, this is I do not understand. I have been thinking," went on Isabel bravely, "whether perhaps, whether perhaps the Catholic Church is not right, after all." Hubert loosed her hands and stood up. She crouched into the shadow of the interior of the high chair and looked up at him, terrified. His cheek twitched a little. "Isabel, this is foolishness." I know what the Catholic faith is. It is not true. I have been through it all. He was speaking nervously and abruptly. She said nothing. Then he suddenly dropped on his knees himself. My dearest, I understand. You were doing this for me. I quite understand. It is what I too... And then he stopped. I know, I know she cried piteously it is just what i have feared so terribly that that our love has been blinding us both and yet what are we to do what are we to do oh god hubert help me then he began to speak in a low emphatic voice holding her hands delicately stroking one of them now and again and playing with her fingers she watched his curly head in the firelight as he talked, and his keen face as he looked up. "'It is all plain to me,' he said caressingly. "'You have been living here with my aunt, a dear old saint, and she has been talking and telling you all about the Catholic religion, and making it seem all true and good. And you, my dear child, have been thinking of me sometimes, and loving me a little?' is it not so and longing that religion should not separate us and so you began to wish it was true and then to hope it was and at last you have begun to think it is but it is not your true sweet self that believes it ah you know in your heart of hearts as i have known so long that it is not true that it is made up by priests and nuns and it is very beautiful i know my dearest but it is only a lovely tale and you must not spoil all for the sake of a tale and i have been gradually led to the light it was your and his voice faltered your prayers that helped me to it i have longed to understand what it was that made you so sweet and so happy and now i know it is your own simple pure religion and and it is so much more sensible so much more likely to be true than the catholic religion 
It is all in the Bible, you see, so plain, as Mr. Collins has showed me. And so, my dear love, I have come to believe it, too. And you must put all these fancies out of your head, these dreams. Though I love you, I love you, and he kissed her hand again, for wishing to believe them for my sake, and and we will be married before christmas and we will have our own fairy tale but it shall be a true one this was terrible to isabel it seemed as if her own haunting thought that she was sacrificing a dream to reality had become incarnate in her lover and was speaking through his lips and yet in its very incarnation it seemed to reveal its weakness rather than its strength as a dark suggestion the thought was mighty embodied in actual language it seemed to shrink a little but then on the other hand and so the interior conflict began to rage again she made a movement as if to stand up but he pressed her back into the chair no my dearest you shall be a prisoner until you give your parole twice isabel made an effort to speak but no sound came seemed as if the raging strife of thoughts deafened and paralyzed her now isabel said hubert i cannot i cannot she cried desperately you must give me time it is too sudden you returning like this you must give me time i do not know what i believe oh dear god help me isabel promise promise before christmas i thought it was all to be so happy when i came in through the garden just now my mother will hardly speak to me and i came to you isabel as i always did i felt so sure you would be good to me and tell me that you would always love me now that i had given up my religion for love of you and now and hubert's voice ended in a sob her heart seemed rent across and she drew a sobbing sigh hubert heard it and caught at her hands again as he knelt isabel promise promise then there came that gust of purpose into her heart again she made a determined effort and stood up and hubert rose and stood opposite her you must not ask me she said bravely it would be wicked to decide yet cannot see anything clearly i do not know what i believe nor where i stand you must give me time there was a dead silence his face was so much in shadow that she could not tell what he was thinking he was standing perfectly still then that is all the answer you will give me he said in a perfectly even voice isabel bowed her head then then i wish you good-night mistress norris and he bowed to her caught up his cap and went out she could not believe it for a moment and caught her breath to cry out after him as the door closed but she heard his step on the stone pavement outside the crunch of the gravel and he was gone then she went and leaned her head against the curved mantel-shelf and stared into the logs that his hands had piled together this then she thought was the work of religion the end of all her aspirations and efforts 
that god should mock them by bringing love into their life and then when they caught at it and thanked him for it it was whisked away again and left their hands empty was this the father of love in whom she had been taught to believe who treated his children like this and so the bitter thoughts went on and yet she knew in her heart that she was powerless that she could not go to the door and call hubert and promise what he asked a great force had laid hold of her it might be benevolent or not at this moment she thought not but it was irresistible and she must bow her head and obey and even as she thought that the door opened again and there was hubert he came in two quick steps across the room to her and then stopped suddenly mistress isabel he asked can you forgive me i was a brute just now i do not ask for your promise i'll leave it all in your hands do with me what you will but but if you could tell me how long you think it will be before you know he had touched the right note isabel's heart gave a leap of sorrow and sympathy oh hubert she said brokenly i am so sorry but i promise i will tell you by easter and her tone was interrogative yes yes said hubert he looked at her in silence and she saw strange lines quivering at the corners of his mouth and his eyes large and brilliant in the firelight then the two drew together and he took her in his arms strongly and passionately there was a scene that night between the mother and son mistress margaret had gone back to the dower house for supper and lady maxwell and hubert were supping in sir nicholas old study that would soon be arranged for hubert now that he had returned for good they had been very silent during the meal while the servants were in the room talking only of little village affairs and of the estate and of the cancelling of the proposed expedition hubert had explained to his mother that it was generally believed that elizabeth had never seriously intended the english ships to sail but that she only wished to draw spain's attention off herself by setting up complications between that country and france and when she had succeeded in this by managing to get the french squadron safe at terceira she then withdrew her permission to drake and hawkins and thus escaped from the quarrel altogether but it was a poor makeshift for conversation when the servants had withdrawn a silence fell presently hubert looked across the table between the silver branched candlesticks mother i know what you are thinking but i cannot consent to go through all the arguments i'm weary of them neither will i see mr barnes to-morrow at cuckfield or here i am satisfied with my position my son said lady maxwell with dignity i do not think i have spoken that priest's name or indeed any well said hubert impatiently at any rate i will not see him but i wish to say a few words about this house we must have our positions clear my father left to your use did he not the whole of the cloister wing i am delighted dear mother that he did so you will be happy there i know and of course i need not say that i hope you will keep your old room overhead as well and indeed use the whole house as you have always done i shall be grateful if you will superintend it all as before at least 
until a new mistress comes thank you my son i will speak of that in a moment he went on looking steadily at the tablecloth but there was a word i wished to say first i am now a loyal subject of her grace in all things in religion as in all else and and i fear i cannot continue to entertain seminary priests as my father used to do my my conscience will not allow that but of course mother i need not say that you are at perfect liberty to do what you will in the cloister wing i shall ask no questions and i shall set no traps or spies but i must ask that the priests do not come into this part of the house nor walk in the garden fortunately you have a lawn in the cloister so that they need not lack fresh air or exercise you need not fear hubert said his mother i will not embarrass you you shall be in no danger i think you need not have said that mother i am not usually thought a coward lady maxwell flushed a little and began to finger her silver knife however hubert went on i thought it best to say that the chapel you see is in that wing and you have that lawn and and i do not think i am treating you hardly and is your brother james not to come asked his mother i have thought much over that said hubert and although it is hard to say it i think he had better not come to my part of the house at least not when i am here i must know nothing of it you must do what you think well when i am away about him and others too it is very difficult for me mother please do not add to the difficulty you need not fear said lady maxwell steadily you shall not be troubled with any catholics besides ourselves then that is arranged said the lad and now there is a word more what have you been doing to isabel and he looked sharply across the table his mother's eyes met his fearlessly i do not understand you she said mother you must know what i mean you have seen her continually i have told you my son that i do not know why burst out hubert she is half a catholic thank god said his mother ah yes you thank god i know but whom am i to thank for it i would that you could thank him too hubert made a sharp sound of disgust ah yes he said scornfully i knew it non nobis domine and the rest hubert said lady maxwell i do not think you mean to insult me in this house but either that is an insult or else i misunderstood you wholly and must ask your pardon for it well he said in a harsh voice i will make myself plain i believe that it is through the influence of you and aunt margaret that this has been brought about at the moment he spoke the door opened come in margaret said her sister this concerns you the old nun came across to hubert with her anxious sweet face and put her old hand tenderly on his black satin sleeve as he sat and wrenched at a nut between his fingers hubert dear boy she said what is all this will you tell me 
Hubert rose a little ashamed of himself and went to the door and closed it, and then drew out a chair for his aunt and put a wine-glass for her. "'Sit down, aunt,' he said, and pushed the decanter towards her. "'I have just left Isabel,' she said. "'She is very unhappy about something. You saw her this evening, dear lad?' "'Yes,' said Hubert heavily, looking down at the table and taking up another nut. "'And it is of that that I have been speaking. Who has made her unhappy?' "'I had hoped you would tell us that.' said mistress margaret i came up to ask you my son has done us uh, me the honour began lady maxwell but hubert broke in i left isabel here last christmas happy and a protestant i have come back here now to find her unhappy and half a catholic if not more and oh are you sure asked mistress margaret her eyes shining thank god if it be so sure said hubert why she will not marry me at least not yet oh poor lad she said tenderly to have lost both god and isabel hubert turned on her savagely but the old nun's eyes were steady and serene poor lad she said again hubert looked down again his lip wrinkled up in a little sneer as far as i am concerned he said i can understand your not caring but i am astonished at this response of yours to her father's confidence lady maxwell grew white to the lips i have told you she began but you do not seem to believe it that i have had nothing to do so far as i know with her conversion which and she raised her voice bravely i pray god to accomplish she has of course asked me questions now and then and i have answered them that is all and i said mistress margaret plead guilty to the same charge and to no other you are not yourself dear boy at present and indeed i do not wonder at it and i pray god to help you but you are not yourself or you would not speak like this to your mother hubert rose to his feet his face was white under the tan and the ruffle round his wrist trembled as he leaned heavily with his fingers on the table i am only a plain protestant now he said bitterly and i have been with protestants so long that i have forgotten catholic ways but stay hubert said his mother do not finish that you will be sorry for it presently if you do come margaret and she moved towards the door her son went quickly past and opened it nay nay said the nun do you be going mary let me stay with the lad and we will come to you presently lady maxwell bowed her head and passed out and hubert closed the door mistress margaret looked down on the table you have given me a glass dear boy but no wine in it hubert took a couple of quick steps back and faced her it's no use it is no use he burst out and his voice was broken with emotion you cannot turn me like that oh what have you done with my isabel he put out his hand and seized her arm give her back to me aunt margaret give her back to me 
he dropped into his seat and hid his face on his arm and there was a sob or two sit up and be a man hubert broke in mistress margaret's voice clear and cool he looked up in amazement and with wet indignant eyes she was looking at him smiling tenderly and now for the second time give me half a glass of wine dear boy he poured it out bewildered at her self-control for a man that has been round the world she said you are but a foolish child what do you mean have you never thought of a way of yet winning isabel she asked what do you mean he repeated why come back to the church dear lad and make your mother and me happy again and marry isabel and save your own soul aunt margaret he cried it is impossible i have truly lost my faith in the catholic religion and and you would not have me a hypocrite ah ah said the nun you cannot tell yet please god it may come back oh dear boy in your heart you know it is true before god in my heart i know that it is not true no 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 she said but the light died out of her eyes and she stretched a tremulous hand yes and margaret it is so for years and years i have been doubting but i kept on just because it seemed to me the best religion and and i would not be driven out of it by her grace's laws against my will like a dog stoned from his kennel but you are only a lad still she said piteously he laughed a little <laughs> but i have had the gift of reason and discretion nearly twenty years a priest would tell me besides aunt margaret i could not be such a a cur as to come back without believing i could never look isabel in the eyes again well well said the old lady let us wait and see do you intend to be here now for a while not while isabel is like this he said i could not i must go away for a while and then come back and ask her again when will she decide she told me by next easter said hubert oh aunt margaret pray for us both the light began to glimmer again in her eyes there dear boy she said you see you believe in prayer still but aunt said hubert why should i not protestants pray well well said the old nun again now you must come to your mother and and be good to her End of chapter 4